need connection, accountability, support as you explore the next level version of you, give yourself a real gift this year, the gift of time. The Warrior Women Mastermind is starting again in January, a curated group of six amazing women in a safe, collaborative setting. Think you don't have enough time? The money? Wrong. Ask yourself if you're worth three hours a month and $25 a day. The biggest discovery some of the women who sign up for my mastermind figure out is they have so much in common with other women and that they have traded their worth for a to-do list. Set up your interview call with me by going to lizswadek.com. That's L-I-Z-S-V-A-T-E-K.com. Space is limited and will sell out fast. Don't miss this opportunity to put yourself first. Women aren't born warriors. We become them. And the road to becoming a warrior is bumpy as hell. Each week, I'm interviewing women who, through tragedy and triumph, are leaping for greatness. Get ready to unleash your inner warrior. I'm Liz Swadek, and this is Conversations with Warrior Women. Hello, warriors. Let's talk about love. My guest today is ready to shed light on our mating matters, which is also the name of her popular podcast. We are talking about dating, mating, marriage, and what is really going on out there from a scientific perspective. This is a fascinating look at where we have evolved to in our mating rituals and what women need to know about the landscape. I have quite a few girlfriends who are dating or who are re-entering the dating scene after divorce. But even if you have been married a long time or have some young women heading off to college, There is a lot of gold nuggets in this podcast. Don't miss the speed round where my guest really explains the wisdom she's gained when things are not happening the way she wants them to. This podcast is a little controversial. Some new ideas here for you and maybe some things you didn't even know about. We are in a new year and that means we're looking for some reinvention, reshaping, and realigning to what we really want. Be intentional about how you spend your time and with whom. Thank you for listening today. I know you're going to love this episode. Got a topic you want me to explore? Email me at liz at lizswadek.com and let me know. I love to hear from you guys. Make sure you share this episode with anyone you think who might need to hear it. Okay, let's get into it. All right, Carrie Murray is back with the Bra Network. Carrie, I heard you have some news for us. Last time you came on and you t- we talked about the Bra Network, this time you're expanding? What's going on? Huge, exciting news. We're growing, we're getting bigger. We have new members coming in from all over the country. So now we're getting back to having in-person events and they're coming to a city near you. We've got them in Houston, Austin, Boston, Portland, Ventura, Orange County, San Diego. We're coming for you. Oh my God, that's so exciting. So you can live anywhere. I love this. So Carrie, what do you think it is about Bra Network that makes it so special? Well, why don't I ask you? You've been a huge cheerleader for me, a huge champion for the women of this network. What do you like about Bra Network? 
Oh my gosh, Carrie. Well, if I mean, put me on the spot, why don't you? But I will say that I love the collaborative nature of everything BRA stands for. Whether we're hiring each other, whether we're going to events together, we're referring clients to each other. It's just a good feeling to collaborate and be in this space with some dynamic women. We can learn about money. We can learn about business. We can learn about LinkedIn, but we also can learn about spirituality or we can learn about self-care. So you really have something for everyone. I think it's really one of the best networking groups out there, which is why, you know, I'm your biggest fan. Why? Thank you. (laughs) So everybody needs to join the bra network. Join now because the prices are increasing and it's coming to a city near you. So let's go. Warrior two. Where do they go, Carrie? How do they join? Good question. Bra-network.com and use that code warrior two for 20% off. All right, everybody on the show today is Dr. Wendy Walsh. She has a three-decade career that straddles the worlds of media and higher education. Wendy is an award-winning television journalist and is the current radio host and podcaster at KFI AM 640 of iHeartMedia. She's the author of three books, thousands of print and digital articles. In the 2000s, she raised two daughters And then she turned her attention to psychology, human development, and attachment theory. After earning her midlife PhD in clinical psychology, she returned to television as an expert commentator. During that time, she wrote three books. Wow, Wendy, you're not doing anything at all. She wrote three books published by Random House and Rodale Books. In 2011, Wendy caught the eye of Dr. Phil's producers and was tapped to join the nationally syndicated show, The Doctors, where she was nominated for a Daytime Emmy Award. By the way, Dr. Drew Orden is my brother-in-law. No. We'll talk about that too. And in 2017, she bravely spoke about the victims of sexual harassment at Fox News and was named Time Magazine Person of the Year. Her love of relationship science, evolutionary psychology, and her knack for media production were combined when she debuted the now popular podcast Mating Matters in partnership with iHeartMedia. So welcome to the show, Underachiever. (laughs) Dr. Wendy Walsh. (laughs) You know what? I'm just an external processor, which means that I can't think unless I'm writing or recording. Yeah. Well, I'm grateful. (laughs) (laughs) I'm grateful for your process. Okay. So let's start with this. I always ask my guests this question and it's my favorite question. What was it like growing up for you? Is there anything that from you as a young girl would point to the work that you're doing now? If you had to find a golden thread or something that were you doing, were you literally psychoanalyzing other children? No, (laughs) that's easy. My father was in the Navy. He was a loving, good, wonderful man, but he was gone at least six months of year, a year in a very sporadic way, meaning that kids thrive on consistency. So if the ship is out at sea for three weeks and then back for a week and gone for two months and back for a day, that's very disruptive on our attachment systems. So we were often living on foreign military bases with not a lot of family support. And, you know, I developed in what we call an anxious, ambivalent attachment style. I didn't know what it was at the time. And my model for love was filled with longing for the good man away on sea, at sea. So I love long distance relationships. I loved bad boys who were avoidant. And really my interest in relationship science, like many scientists interests, is about making sense of what was going on in my own life. And then I started to realize that, oh, I'm not the only one. That actually one third of American women have experienced some sort of abuse in childhood, whether it was sexual, emotional, physical, whether it was neglectful, or that abuse often came at the hand of someone they loved. 
And so it became intertwined with their idea of what love is. And so I started to understand that learned behaviors can be unlearned. And through my journey of through textbooks and also getting lots of psychotherapy, I am just trying to scream from the rooftops that everybody can find a healthy, secure relationship and keep it. And that's why I'm here. Ah, I love, I love that. I love that because I think that's a comfort just to know. I will say that the day that someone first offered to me, your thoughts are choices. Mm -hmm. I literally was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) What are you talking about? And that was a game changing day for me. That was like the first day I started realizing that, you know, you don't have to be trapped by your mind and, and feel that your mind is running the show that you can actually do things and and there's tools to quiet the mind and to get yourself in the position, Dr. Wendy, I would say, to receive an amazing relationship, right? That that you always want and deserve. So yeah, I would say that relationships are far more about skill than luck. And if you can learn some good relationship skills, you'll actually be more attractive to more people. But I want to say when you said our thoughts, our choices. Unfortunately, most of our thoughts are unconscious. So that's the, yes. The trick is to make the unconscious conscious so we can manage things. Yes. No, well said. I mean, the subconscious mind, I didn't know that was running the show 95, 97% of the time. That was also a big shock to me when I learned that one. Well, let's talk about uh, your Mating Matters podcast. Because, you know, from one podcaster to another, Dr. Wendy, I'm always fascinated by other people's podcasts and I love yours. What is something that you've talked about on the podcast that just literally blew up the show? Like, have there been some episodes that just stand out in your mind, like where people went like, holy moly, what are you talking about? Well, I would say, so Mating Matters, I put behind a paywall now on Patreon. And so for as little as $8 a month, you can get all the episodes and more as I continue to put them out. Mating Matters looks at all human behavior through a lens of evolutionary psychology and human mating strategy, which means that I believe every single thing we do is designed to either attract or keep mates. That's we're here to reproduce. I also love to interview lots of great thinkers in the world of evolutionary psychology. And so I'd say the two episodes that get the most attention are the trouble with testosterone. That episode talks about how high testosterone, high testosterone men, the men and women love, known for their deeper voices, more muscle mass, sometimes more emotionally avoidant. And you can always tell them by the length of their ring finger. If their ring finger is longer than their pointer finger, they're very high in testosterone. And as a result, they're more more likely to cheat. They're, they have less compassion and empathy. This is just basic biology and genetics. And yet women get so sexually aroused by these guys, and then they wonder why they can't be good fathers. So that's an interesting episode. I interviewed all kinds of men with different voice vocal tones, and then measured their fingers, and we talked about it. And then <laughs> another episode, you know, people are really interested about women's reproductive choices and female mating strategies. And there are an entire range from, I think one is called Mothers, Wives and MILFs and all the ways that women manage to reproduce and still attract or keep good mates or expel bad mates. And one called Hidden Eggs. And it's about why we evolved to have concealed fertility. In other words, every other primate Every has those, for want of a, this is not textbook terms, has those swollen red monkey butts 
They have swollen red vulvas that let the mates know they're ovulating, it's time. But we're the only primate that has completely concealed ovulation where for three days of a month, men can't tell if you can get pregnant or not. And women often don't know if they can get pregnant or not. And why did that evolve in our species? That's all explained in the episode, but also how men have also, it's an arms race, right? They've figured out ways to detect it. And it has to do with breathy our voices get when we ovulate you know when Marilyn Monroe sang happy birthday Mr. President (laughs) it's continued it was considered sexy because of that and also the way women walk and men have different ways of unconsciously figuring it out they'll say she's hot they don't know why well she's ovulating she's ovulating she's so hot she's ovulating that's what okay well I also wanted to talk to you about this crazy concept so my husband and I have been talking about this thing called an incel which I think is a man, I think the definition of incel is a man that is involuntarily celibate, right? They don't want to be celibate. They do want to be having sex, but they are not. And that these men are now kind of a product of how our society has evolved over time. Some people are blaming technology. Some people are saying it's because, you know, we've become a country of extremes, But I feel like you would be the perfect person to ask about this and to ask like how this has evolved in our society, where it comes from, these incel men, and what you think about that whole concept. Okay, in order to set it up, I want to remind you that human beings have two jobs on this planet. One is to extract resources from the environment, food, shelter, what have you. And once they've done that, to acquire and maintain mates. Now we have left the industrial age, obviously the agrarian age, farming and industry behind us. We've now entered the information age where women are actually more uniquely selected to extract resources from the environment. We're better talkers, we're better texters, we have more social sensitivity. And so as a result for the last 20 years, we've seen an increasing feminization on college campuses. For every two men that get a college degree, there are three women. Even in graduate schools and even in the hard sciences, we're seeing 50% women now. Now, what happens to a mating marketplace when women become highly educated? Well, women don't like to date down. Women also have rolling around in their own bloodstream an old version of patriarchy that says, I need a protector provider. So the more degrees a woman has, the more money she has, the more she wants a mate to have even more. There's a lovely sociologist in Scotland who calls it the George Clooney effect. (laughs) The more the woman, right, exactly. And so what happens is she doesn't want to date the guy without the college degree, or if she has two degrees, she doesn't want to date a guy with one degree. So what happens is she's holding out for this alpha male that all the women are clustering around on the dating apps in a very unnatural way is that culture will arise things like polygamy. The alpha males will be like, oh, come on, we're going to have an open relationship. How about conscious non-monogamy, babe? Let's open it up. Ethical non-monogamy. Men created this. Trust me, women did not create this. Also, cultures will start to condone same-sex relationships with the female sex because women would rather date a highly educated woman than an uneducated man. And as a result, you get left with this group of, I call them marauding males in the lower classes who can't find mates and are really, really mad. And so crime goes up, sexual assault goes up. I recently on my podcast interviewed Joe Henrich, who is head of anthropology at Harvard University. And he wrote an amazing paper on how we need to normalize monogamy, 
that monogamy has been rising around the world, not for puritanical or moral reasons, but because it keeps society safer. If every man has a mate, then he's not going to be out there robbing banks and raping. And in fact, the opposite happens to men's biology when women choose them or not. When women choose a male mate and he gets a bit domesticated, put a baby in his hand, even better, his testosterone goes down. This is actually good. Forget about the pharmaceutical companies who talk about low T as a problem. No, low T is a good thing for women, okay? It makes us safer. However, for those men who we are not choosing, Mother Nature makes their testosterone rise so that they can be more aggressive and more ambitious and plant their seed and beget mates. And this is the rise of the incel. Wow. This is all human evolution is predicated by female choice. And all evolutionary psychologists know that females are in charge. We shape we shaped men's bodies by choosing them and having sons who had similar bodies. We shape everything by female choice. That is so interesting. So when, what is the solution in that? Is it, if we're talking about women, what is the perspective shift we need? Because let me tell you something, no one, no, no one that I know is going to date an incel because these right. become like super enraged. So, uh, but there's a lot of in between, right? Between the alpha male playboy who's trying to get you into a polygamous relationship and the incel, there are a lot of really great men in between. I think women need to change their idea of what a power man is and think about really what their needs are going to be in the future if they're a wage good wage earner. I think their idea of a power man might be a guy who can power a stroller, right? I also think the value of kindness over financial is important too. You know, I actually read all these stats and followed it and used my own mating strategy. And I have a wonderful, secure relationship for the last two and a half years. I love him so much. And it is the first time in my life that I walk through an airport carrying nothing but a cell phone. He couldn't do enough for me. He carries everything. He's constantly working and cleaning and helping. And it, he is worth his weight in gold. And I used to think about all those player, alpha, cool, big guys who sat around watching sports while I fussed over them and their high testosterone and fed them. And now I have somebody who is an equal partner who cares and I care back. And I'm happy to take care of him because he's so he gives so much. I think that's a really good point. You know, I think there's this tendency that women have, like we're already earning a lot of money or we've got these big careers and then we're looking for somebody with a big career. It's like, well, two big careers, like who's running the show? Like what is right. who's going to raise the kids and run the house? And you think you're all just going to hire strangers to do that, right? It's yeah. going to be two men being married and you're going to ride, you know, I always say there are really only two genders. There really is only one gender now, which is men until a mother walks in the room. And all of a sudden we have a female in the house because her body is now needed to grow a human, to nurture and nurse a human, right? And all of a sudden women are shocked at that their needs are very different now that they've become a mother. So what is it like now in the dating world? What are you seeing? What like when if, if women come to you and say, Oh, Dr. Wendy, you're so lucky you found somebody. You know, I've tried, uh-huh. I've tried, Dr. Wendy. I've been out there, it's terrible. You know, what do you think? Uh, is holding women back right now? Or what do you think they need to know in order to, I guess, open themselves up <laughs> to- They haven't learned female mating strategy. Okay. Yes. First of all, I know that a lot of people will hate me for saying this, but there's anthropological anyway, we like evidence to of this. Do it. 
Men don't like promiscuous men in our, their anthropological past because of our concealed fertility had to be very careful about who they mated with because they could easily have ended up raising uh, another man's genes. And so as a result, they have a naturally involved inclination to worry about how many partners a woman has had to worry if she. And so basically women think because our bodies often fall in love through sex because of all the raging oxytocin. You know, the only other time that a woman's body emits so much oxytocin as it does during sex is during breastfeeding to bond with your baby. Okay, so women will sometimes even accidentally fall in love with a loser because they have sex with him regularly. They're hooking up. Right. And then they're wondering why he's not behaving like a boyfriend. I'm like, well, I thought you signed up for sports sex. What happened there? Her body will fall in love. Men, on the other hand, do not fall in love through sex. Men can have sex with the same woman once a week for six months and not like her one bit better than he did on the first date. Men fall in love through trust. And they don't trust women who give them sex easily and quickly. Now, the problem is women are feeling this competition from other women. Look at Instagram and you see all the cartoon bodies and all the silliness and all the sexiness, right? And so women think I've got to compete with other women by being sexier. But men in their mind, every time they go out on a date, I promise you, I wrote a book called The Girlfriend Test where I interviewed a hundred recently married men and I asked them, why'd you marry her? And why didn't you call the rest of us back? And this is what I heard over and over, that on every first date, a man says to himself, I wonder if this is a short-term relationship or a long-term relationship. They don't use those words. They say, am I going to get sex tonight or am I going to meet my wife? And it's all about how the woman behaves. That's amazing. That's amazing. So in this book, what else did you find out in this book about how people select mates? So women have sex way too fast because men are pressuring them and they're feeling the problem. The other thing is women are afraid to have boundaries. You know, I think there was a book out. I didn't write it years ago. Something like bitches get commitments or something like that. I don't know what it is. Uh, (laughs) Why bitches get married. And it's really about boundaries, right? Men in many ways want to be led. You know, there are no such thing as grooms magazines. They don't grow up dreaming about the perfect tuxedo to walk down the aisle. They only go there because a woman has dragged them there, okay? And so having boundaries from the beginning, and I'm gonna tell you a story to help you understand. Timing is everything too. A friend of mine got married for the first time in her life at the age of 50. And she, like me, we knew each other many years, ran with a bunch of bad boys and players and had a lot of broken relationships. And she met this guy and they dated for like about nine weeks. And then he did that typical going into his cave, weaning off, whatever. And so she let him go. She didn't try to reel him back in by being sexier or cooler. She didn't get mad. She didn't get anxiety. She didn't. She was just like, all right, yeah, it's not meant to be letting that one go. A year later, and by the way, she played those nine weeks very well, delaying the onset of first sex, making sure that she was not too provocative too early, making sure she talked about her life relationship goals, saying she wanted to be married someday, et cetera, et cetera. So a year later, she runs into a grocery store. He comes to her and says, can you give me another chance? Can I cook you dinner? Come to my house. So she goes, eh, I kind of liked him then. I'll give him another chance. And you know what he says to her? He says, look, I was busy wrapping up things with my ex-wife. I still had money to pay. You were like serious wife material. And I was not in a place to be the man you deserved at that point. But I am now. And That's they're married. Incredible. That's incredible. So, 
women blame themselves, try to do all these tips and tricks and sexy things to reel in that guy instead of going, you know what, lift your paddle and let the river take you. Maybe the timing's not right. Or maybe this is just not a good match. You're not a bad person, Lady Jane. Maybe it's just not a good match. The way to find one, you only need one, one great guy is to eliminate hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of guys. And now we have the beauty of the apps to do it. You don't even have to get dressed up and go on a date. You can look for things wrong in his profile. You can look for things wrong in his first three texts. Okay, so, okay, wait, what can you know? That's really good information, Dr. Wendy. Tell me, what am I, if I'm looking at a dating profile and I want to know, I got some girls that are dating right now. I'm talking to you, Nikki. I got some big Dana. I got some people who are dating and I want to know what should they be looking for on these dating because they're on there. First of all, I met my boyfriend on Bumble. And I use some of the mating strategies that I've been reading about. For instance, you know how women have to talk first on Bumble, which does not match basic biology. Sperm chases egg and not the reverse. So if you do speak first to a man on an app after the match, the only word that I will allow you to say is hi. That opens the chain so that he can then talk to you and you can see if he's got game or not if he's passionate about you, if he cares. The other strategy that women use on Bumble is the match expires after 24 hours. If he's interested in you, he goes back and rematches. It's like knocking at your door twice. So a lot of women will be like, I won't even talk to a man unless he's rematched with me at least once or twice. My guy rematched with me like four times. But anyway, because I wasn't on the apps, I didn't even know we kept expiring. But anyway, the other thing is never match with more than two people at once. Here's why. Dating apps are designed to get you addicted to the apps. They are not designed to help you find a mate because then they have no users. So they use something called a paradox of choice. Paradox of choice means the more choice a human being has in anything, the less likely they are to make a choice. And if they do make a choice, they actually value it lower, right? Because they think they're thinking about the bigger, better deal that got away. So if you're only matching with two people and don't even go back onto the cards and start scrolling, just look at those two people and compare them and say to yourself, one is better than the other. I have to eliminate one. Let me see how I can do that. So you're going to start by seeing how responsive they are. If Are they quick in getting back to you? Do they write a lot? And don't you write a whole bunch. You know, do you know how many women come up to me at parties and show their phone like this? It's like a right? paragraph. Yeah, and, I, and say, what does he mean by this? What does this text mean? And you know what I say every time? I just measure the size of the text and I go, look who's chasing who? Why does he need to write more? Look what you're writing to him. In fact, there was new research out of the Kinsey Institute that showed that higher status mates write less. So if you want to appear as a higher status mate, write less. So let him your girlfriends. Write big, long text to your girlfriend. I hate big, long texts too, by the yeah, way. Me too. Them. So, but you, so anyway, you can make a only match with two and tell yourself, I got to eliminate one. Now you might eliminate him because he's just not responding. He's not responding with lengthy enough texts. He doesn't want to get on the phone. I always say by somewhere between three and five quality texts, put your phone number out there and say, Hey, I'm not a big texter. If you want to jump on the phone, here's my number. If he doesn't call, give him a day or two, swipe him away, get rid of him. There's thousands of more in that app. He's competing with them. And if he doesn't realize he's competing with them, he loses. Remember, sperm chases egg, not the reverse. Stop thinking about the other female competition. Just think about what a glorious queen you are waiting to take applications from suitors. 
Boom. Um, Think about what a glorious queen you are. I love that. Okay. And then the next thing is once you've eliminated and you're down to your one, you still have a chance to eliminate him, which is you have a phone test. Get on the phone. See if he gives good phone. You can tell so much from vocal tone than you can from just texting. And never, ever, ever meet someone in the real world that you've only texted with. I've done it twice, and both times were huge disappointments. And now I know. Get on the phone. And then you can eliminate after. And by the way, do not ghost. You would not. You don't like being ghosted? Why would you ghost somebody else? So I used to have a very canned text that I would send about, you know, an hour after the phone conversation, half an hour or something. And I would say, hey, it was a pleasure chatting on the phone. Good luck at whatever. Your daughter's wedding next week, whatever they mentioned. You know, I don't think romance is in the cards for us, but I'll keep you in mind for a friend. Oh, that's and a good thing to do. They either responded with, thank you. That's very nice talking to you too, or nothing. But nobody got ghosted by me. Everybody got something. Because you know what? You're finding people by zip codes. You're going to walk into a business meeting someday and that guy's going to be there. Yeah. You're going to drive your kids to school and he's the other carpool dad. Like you're going to run into people. Yeah. So be nice. Yeah, you got to be nice. You got to be nice. So tell me what mindset, because you've done a lot of things, Dr. Wendy. Like you've got a lot. I didn't even read your full like bio. Your bio is it's too long. long because you've done a lot of things. What kind of mindset have you had to cultivate to do all the things you do? Because- it's not, you know, you've raised daughters, you've gone, you know, been a, you're a mom, you're a mom, you, you've published works, you've written books, like you've gotten more done than most people I know. So, but also you don't, you're, I'm talking to you and you are the most chill, but you are not a stressy, overwhelmed, pressured woman. So I'm curious. Except when we tried to schedule this. <laughs> My schedule's all tight. Busy is one thing. That's your, yeah. naturally, you know, you've got things going on, but you're not a pressured person. So I'm curious what kind of mindset you've had to cultivate to get, to do all the things you've done. Well, I think human beings naturally strive to succeed. And that one thing that's really good for our mental health is looking forward. In fact, research on long-term monogamous couples is the ones that stay happy are the ones that are always planning something together. They're always looking forward to the next thing. Even if it's, you know, a house remodel, even if it's, oh, there's my darling just walked home. I heard the door. Even if it's, you know, retirement together or planning something, right? And so in my life, I'm always planning and I'm always looking forward. It, it, I wouldn't say I even do it consciously. It's just my natural tendency is what's coming next that's going to be exciting for me. Because, you know, I teach developmental psychology and Eric Erickson said, this is the stage of generativity where at a certain age, you want to continue like giving to the next generation, to continue creating, to leave a legacy, right? And I think that's really what motivates me is just wanting to look forward to something because it's good for my mental health and also to leave something behind. Well, what is next for you, Dr. Wendy? I mean, you've done so many wonderful things. You're still a young woman. What's next for you? What is well, it, what are you looking forward to now? What's coming? What's really interesting is the happiest thing in my life is my real estate career. <laughs> Wow. Uh, when I was a young woman, I was terrified to own income property, but a friend who was a realtor convinced me to buy this apartment building I'm sitting in now. And over the course, I raised my kids here up in the penthouse. Now I get money for the penthouse, but I, I raised my kids here over the course of 20 years. 
I remodeled bathrooms and kitchens and floors. And during, and sometimes they're on Airbnb, sometimes they're long-term tenants. And now I bought a farm in Southern Oregon and I'm slowly remodeling all the buildings up there. So I'm happiest dealing with an electrician and a plumber, to be honest. (laughs) That is amazing. It's also fun to go into new zones. You know, when we're learning and growing and expanding, like you talk about the forward motion and looking forward to things. I always, you know, all the women I coach, I'm like, you know, women are like dogs. We want to go forward. Like if you don't walk a dog, they're depressed. Like dogs that are not walking forward are losing their minds. So like, why do we going forward? Like, it seems in our minds that we want to be like, oh no, I like my comfort zone. I like my slippers and my stay home, but that's actually not what we like. We are, you know, and I also want to say something when people hear, hear, oh, Dr. Wayne in real estate, she must be rich. Look, I've never been rich at times during the great recession. I just, I'm I am very resourceful. And during the Great Recession, I lived in the studio apartment. Now, there's a building I owned and let the building support me. I bought my first piece of real estate with 5% down. So I learned as much about financing and using other people's money. If there's one little bit of a financial advice that I think every woman needs to learn, it is this. Poor people look as de- at debt as bad. Wealthy people look at debt as borrowing money, buying money, buying money at a good price. And so once you can get your head around the fact that you're going to manage a lot of debt, then you can own lots of things. And then I know when there's a recession, there are certain pieces I can say, remember that game of Monopoly we all grew up with? So you sell a few houses and hotels and properties when when you don't have a good turn. And at other turns, you build it up. And whenever I think of buying something, all I do when people are telling me the price and the market and all these, you know, real estate terms, I just go, I just go on Zillow. I figure how much that I look at how much that property would rent out. If worst case scenario, I couldn't remodel it. I couldn't live in it. I couldn't afford the mortgage. I'm like, I'll put a tenant in and wait out. So if, if the mortgage payment is less than the rental market, I buy it. I love it. I love simple, simple. Yes. That's it. All right, Dr. Wendy, I've loved talking to you. I we're on to the speed round. You don't even, you, this is the real speed round because a lot of people see these before you have not seen these questions. They are fun questions. So you don't have to worry. Okay. What does it mean to you to be a warrior woman? Because you are in my eyes. Well, to be fearless about speaking out about sexual harassment or sexual assault I took a big risk when I spoke out on behalf of victims of sexual assault or sexual harassment at Fox News in the New York Times. And the the thinking then was that you would be blackballed in the industry and it would be a terrible thing. But, you know, I got nothing but love and the Me Too movement has continued and we're seeing a backlash now against the Me Too movement. So now more than ever, women need to be warriors with their voices. I could not agree more. What is a mantra or quote that you live by and love? Wayne Gretzky. I'm Canadian, so I have to quote a hockey player. Wayne Gretzky's favorite quote is my motto for life. You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. So true. And you're taking all the shots. That's why you're yeah, doing Just so take them. If you lose one, oh well, that wasn't meant to be. I love it. What makes you feel unstoppable? Well, I have to say now at this stage of my life, it's my boyfriend. He's so brilliant. And I've never had a partner and supporter. I've had men that I dragged along, men that broke my heart, men that stole money from me, men that hit me, men that I've had all kinds of stuff. But to have a secure relationship 
that doesn't have the roller coaster highs and lows, but instead has a sense of peace and trust. That's everything. That's amazing. What are you most proud of? My kids. I was a single mom for 18 years with 100% custody, $0 child support. I was a survivor of domestic violence and financial abuse. Somehow I managed to refinance this building and roll in his crime and pay off his crime. And he stole a large amount of money from me. Somehow I looked at the statistics of single mothers and saw that children of single mothers were more likely to have poor academics, earlier onset of sexual behavior, more likely to use drugs, et cetera. And I said, I got to put these kids first. I'm going to give them the most expensive thing I have, which is my time, even if I have to live in a studio apartment with them. And I am very proud to tell you that my daughter graduated from Harvard. My, my other daughter, who's filled with a host of learning disabilities, I sued two schools in one. Oh, I just broke an NDA there. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> I got her the services that she needed. And now she's living independently. She's a beauty advisor at Ulta Beauty, you guys. When oh. next time you see that girl work in retail somewhere, know that she's somebody's baby. Okay. I'm so oh. proud of her. She oh drives God. her own car. She has her own life. I am so in awe of my kids and the fact that we all got through. We did it. Yeah. You did a wonderful job. That's amazing. What keeps you going when you're feeling lost? When I'm feeling lost, I stop and I lift my paddle and I let the river take me. Because sometimes in life, we're just fighting and fighting and trying to get people to do things and get things to change. But if you just, if you're, you know, I use the metaphor, if you're staring at this closed door too long, you cannot see all the doors opening around you. So when I'm feeling like nothing is working, the universe is shaking things up, I just sit and I take a break. I meditate. I take a walk on the beach. I say, it's not going to happen today. And I'll see what's coming next. What's coming next? You know, I believe that all living things, including plants and humans, go in continual phases of creation, followed by homeostasis, followed by destruction. You cannot have a creation stage unless you have a destruction stage. Mm. And I look back at my life and I think of how important those destruction stages were to wake up on your own kitchen floor, knocked unconscious at the hand of somebody you loved. And with two little kids, one having screaming meltdown tantrums because you didn't know her diagnoses and figure out how am I going to do this with no job in a great recession. And it's those moments where you just figure shit out and then you get to the other side and you're like, wow, wasn't easy, but I feel so proud that these things have happened. Yeah. I mean, like a phoenix out of the ashes. I mean, nothing, <laughs> nothing makes you more proud is when you think about when you're on the floor, when it was really, you didn't think you could take another second and you look back and you say, I made it through that. Like, that is amazing what I, I I do want to say one thing. I mean, you're looking at an educated white woman of privilege. So I want to be very cautious when I talk about my successes. I know there are structural obstacles and barriers for all kinds of people. My children happen to be biracial, African-American, so they've educated me more than anybody. But I do think this, that when, when, you, when you focus on the obstacles, you miss out on the opportunities, even if there are fewer opportunities. And I do think we should be working on taking down those obstacles. But you know, when I see a wall, 
I think of ways to go under that wall, around the wall, over the wall. And if all I did in my life was look for sexism all day long, I would see it everywhere. You know, um, my favorite metaphor for this is a real thing. Focus and attention is a real thing. It's focus, right? So, you know, and this is not to dismiss the pain and the discrimination that many people experience from ageism to racism to, you know, I don't know what it's called when we discriminate against people with mental health or neurodiversity, body discrimination, body shape, et cetera. I, I, this is not to dismiss. This is real. Okay. But having said that, I always would look to the person who managed to figure it out, like an Oprah Winfrey, like how'd she figure that out, right? In this terrible system, right? And I, th- I use the example of, remember the time you decided you were going to buy your first car, you saved up all the money and you figured what kind of car you were going to buy. And then you hadn't bought it yet, but you were near having enough money. And then at every intersection, that car appeared. It was everywhere yeah. because you knew you wanted it. You deserved it. You were about to have it. It showed up everywhere. You just noticed it. You never noticed it when you were focusing on the fact that I'm on the bus. I just need to take the bus. <laughs> yeah. So true. What's like when you're pregnant? When I was pregnant, I saw 7,000 pregnant people everywhere. And I was like, oh my God, everyone's having a baby. No, it's, I couldn't think about anything else but yeah. having a baby. So that's yeah. all I saw all the time. I would yeah. only thought about the crib in the room and how's it going to look? And, and then you think everyone's just having babies. Now I never see pregnant people. Right. I never see them anywhere. And I'm like, wow, that was really my first. Where'd they all go? <laughs> Where'd they all go? There's no babies. I used to see strollers everywhere. Now I see dog walkers. <laughs> Exactly. Well, what is exciting you the most right now, Dr. Wendy? Uh, The holidays coming up because we just, well, two things. One is my boyfriend and I, after two and a half years, have just moved in together a week ago. So that's all very exciting. We're setting up our little nest together. We have four young adult children. We hope to have home for a few meals or to stay with us at different times over the holidays. And it is that feeling of accomplishment where, you know, we're not responsible really for keeping them alive so much now. We can just treat them to nice dinners and do their laundry and have them home. And I've been practicing a new game called Rummy Cube. And yes, I love Rummy Cube. Oh, I know. So I'm going to really beat my daughters this Christmas. <laughs> you have a mission. <laughs> I have a mission. mission. Thanksgiving mission. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I love it. All right. Well, Dr. Wendy, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's and you're, so nice to see you again. It's so nice to come on because I do know how busy you actually are and all the things <laughs> you have going on. So I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you. So and nice. It was so to fun see to talk again. to you. All right. Take care. <laughs> all right, everybody. Thank you for joining me today. Remember to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. And if you enjoyed the show, leave us a five star written review. This is the Conversations with Warrior Women podcast with me, Liz Swadek. Remember, every woman has a story. You just need to ask her. Bye.